Welcome to From Earning to Learning, the podcast where we talk about all things education. I'm your host, Dave Franjosen. All right, so I have with me tonight a special guest, uh, Dr. Sheldon Akins. He's been a teacher, a principal. Um, he is the founder uh, of the Leading Equity Center, uh, podcast host, um, has tons of hours of content. So, um, you know, welcome, Dr. Akins. David, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. So tell us a little bit about um, Leading Equity Center. How did that come to be? Like, what made you found that? So I moved out in Idaho about five years ago and uh, never, never, ever in my life would I thought think I would end up here. Uh, this, this was not on my radar. Nothing against Idaho. Uh, I, I mean, like I said, I've been here for five years and, uh, you know, this is where I'm at. But one of the things that I recognize living here in Idaho is, you know, there's not a lot of diversity here. And uh, initially I was working in higher ed, but I was going to high schools and I was going around, I was helping kids out and uh, helping them get to college. And a lot of the kids that I would work with were kids of color. And I personally would experience a lot of things in schools, like when I would visit different schools or just teachers would say stuff to me or I have students say stuff to me. And I wanted to help them or help myself a lot of times. And I just didn't have the language. A lot of it just came from, I didn't know what to say. When you get caught off guard, someone says something racist to you or someone says something so subtle. You're like, was that racist? I'm not sure. I don't know <laughs> if it was or not. It's like, you had to question it. And I just would have these experiences and I didn't know what to do. And uh, I, I remember getting to a place where it's like, I wanted to start learning how to be better as an educator, as an advocate for my students and for myself, being with the experiences that I was experiencing. And I was like, well, what better to learn? Because I'm not a blogger. I'm not going to sit there and write uh, weekly notes and all these things. That's just not really my thing. Uh, however, I, I have a PhD. I'm a qualitative type of person. And so I wanted to interview people. And I, that's what I started doing. I started looking into different research articles and journals on different topics centered around basically supporting uh, teachers and supporting myself with a lot of the language to help folks out who were in similar situations. And that was how the podcast started. I didn't want to blog, but I wanted to learn how to be better. And it's like, what's the point of me bettering myself, educating myself, writing my own self-awareness and not sharing this with other people who might be in similar situations, who might need some support as well. And so three years later, we're what, episode 207 just came out yesterday, or what's today, Monday, Tuesday? I don't even know what today is these days, but I think the last episode was episode 207. That just came out and, you know, we're still, we're still chugging along. So it's, it's just has really taught me a lot of stuff throughout the last few years. So when you say 207 episodes, I want people to understand that none of that is fluff. Like, I mean, the, the guests that you have on there, um, you have some amazing guests on there and there's a lot of great content and that's not even like half of your content because like, yeah. you know, like there's hours. If you go back to the summits that you've done, uh, I've, I've actually, um, you know, watched two of those summits, um, and it, there's just so much great stuff. So, you know, um, congrats, man, like keep bringing it. Thank you. I it's, and I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. It's, I mean, the podcast is definitely 
the the main staple. I mean, I have trainings, I have, you know, online courses, I have, you know, there's so much content, you know, a lot of virtual summits and things like that that are out there. And I just, again, I just always try to provide value. I mean, my goal is to provide the tools and resources necessary to ensure equity at their school. I, I mean, that's, that's the goal is to help as many people as I can. Yeah. You know what, man, you're, you're rocking it, man. Doing a great job. So, you know, speaking of the podcast, like episode 188, um, you know, the title of it, uh, I think it was, did we forget why we're here? You know, and like that, a lot of things in that episode resonated with me. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the statements that you made was just because we provide PD doesn't mean that students are getting it. Mm -hmm. You know, so can you just like speak to that a little bit? So I do trainings, right? So I, you know, I, so I got to the point, so podcasting and then again, you're learning more and then you, you start getting invited to, to speak to different schools and districts. And, and next thing you know, I, I'm running the leading equity center. That's the next thing that comes out of the podcast. And so here we are. And one of the things I started noticing is, okay, I would do trainings. I would spend hours. I would spend days uh, working with groups. And you could kind of see on different people's faces, you know, how motivated people were. And you have some really engaged people. And you have some that are in different levels and different places. And overall, I think one of the things that really resonated with me was when I started working with students. Um, I got a superintendent that reached out to me a couple years ago. This actually it was around George Floyd, right when he got murdered. And they were like, man, we have some kids that are really having a hard time. Can you talk to the students for us and do you do student work? And I was like, oh yeah, I can talk to kids. I was, you know, I, I'm a secondary guy. And so when I talked to the students, now keep in mind the same district, I was working with their staff. So I was doing training with their staff on an adult level and we we're doing these things. And then when I talked to the kids, the kids were sharing different stories, different things such as, you know, feeling discriminated against, feeling profiled, feeling as if COVID was the main, um, like that, they just wanted to finish the school year out. Was what the administrate how the administration came across to them it was like, we just want to get you done. We're gonna get you out of here summer. That's that was how the kids felt. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, I just did all this training with your entire district, and I'm hearing this from your students. So there's some sort of disconnect. And so as I started thinking about it more, I was like, okay, just because I'm doing training with the adults, does that necessarily mean that the students experiences will change we have to go beyond that and so from there i'm really appreciative of this district because that one little session that i had was a 90 minute session with those kids and that ended up being multiple sessions the following school year and i was able to watch the kids progress see their growth because at the end of the day it was all about empowerment of our kids a lot of our kids experience a lot of things that happen to them when teachers aren't around, when a school principal isn't in the hallway, when a school prison principal is not in the, the, the building, you know, things happen. Kids are smart. They're smart enough to know not to tease someone in front of an adult. They're smart enough to know those things. And so what happens as a student, if I'm 13, 14 years old, if I'm a person of color, if I'm a person that is in the minority when it comes to representation and I'm experiencing these things at that age, I don't know what it's called, but I need to respond to it and 
and be able to respond to it in a way that's not going to get me in trouble, not going to get me suspended, expelled or whatever, because then there's those disproportionality issues when it comes to school discipline. So how do I navigate this system, survive, be academically strong and still be socially strong? And that was the tools that we really worked on with the school and the students that year. And that's what we've been doing. We've been doing a lot of student work because I recognize that, yes, helping teachers, helping principals, helping counselors, helping mental health providers is very important. I'm not taking anything away from professional development, but I like to try to go a little bit further and support our students as well, just so that they can feel like they have the courage and empowerment to be able to speak on behalf of themselves as well. Yeah. And that's awesome. So, all right, follow up questions to that. So I know there's a lot of well-meaning teachers and like they connect with their students on a certain level, but, and and they think everything's okay. Yeah. My students talk to me. They tell me, you know, there's some things that they won't tell you. Right. Mm -hmm. So how, how can we like kind of break past that? And, you know, I think this is another thing that you said, you know, our class has to be more than just a safe space. Mm-hmm. Like the safe space is not enough. So how do we go beyond that? Right. So what what can you tell teachers? You know, I and, and <laughs> I sometimes I get myself in trouble when I start talking <laughs> my thoughts out, you know, because, you know, everybody was big on the safe space. It's a safe zone. Put the rainbows on the door. Black Lives Matter. And stop Asian hating. You know, all those signs on the on the door to show that I am an ally. I have I have kind of gone away from the ally word. Um, I'm, I'm more on a disruptor these days. Um, I think the word allies is a safe word, actually. Uh, I, I think ally means, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I am, you know, if you're having trouble, you can come to my room. And uh, if you, you know, come see me during lunch, so we can talk about how your day is going, those type of things. I think ally is, is nice. It's a nice word. However, it does not necessarily insinuate action. Um, when I think about what it means to be an advocate, now I am of, and I'm not saying that teachers, educators need to speak for their students. However, there are times when we're in positions of power as adults, we're uh, people of influence, we're people who have had students come to our rooms during lunch or before school or after school, have shared things with us about some of their experiences that they've had at school. Are we just supposed to be there for a vent session or a listening ear for them? That's a nice thing. It's a time and a place. But if we are in a position where we can do something about it, where we can say, you know what, here, let's let's come up with a game plan. Because sometimes I have kids come up to me when I was at the at the school uh, on the reservation. I had kids come up to me and tell me stuff that happened to them. And I would say, how do you want me to proceed with this information? Do you want me to go speak to your teacher? Do you want me to go speak to the principal? Do you want me to speak to that student? Do you want me to set up a circle uh, for us so we can kind of hash this out? How would you like for me to proceed? Sometimes the kids just want to just talk it out. Sometimes the kids do want you to go. They came like they came to me because they want me to handle it or help them handle it. But if we don't ask those kind of questions, if we're not there beyond just being a safe space, beyond just being an ally, but we're willing to be a disruptor as well when we need to. I think that's the next step with everything. Um, and, and that's just, like I said, sometimes I get myself in trouble, but that's just how I am. Like I want when kids, if five years from now, 10 years from now, 
if someone asked me about Dr. Akins, you know, oh, did you have Dr. Akins? Was he one of your uh, educators or something like that? What was one of the things you remembered about him? I want folks to be able to say, you know what? I knew Dr. Akins was going to stick up for me. I knew Dr. Akins was had my back. It's one thing that yeah, I had a relationship with Dr. Akins and he was cool, right? But I knew that he, if I had an issue, I could come to him and he would handle it or he would at least listen to me and ask me, how would I like to proceed with this information? What do you want me to do with this? Do you want me just, I can just listen. You want me to help you solve this? Do you help me? want me to help you figure this out? Here's what I suggest that we do. Or here's what I can do for you. This is the path that we can take. That's the disruptor piece. And that's why I kind of, I, I stand, um, I kind of go away from the word ally these days. Okay. Uh, I dig it. You know, and th there's a lot of stuff that needs to be disrupted. Yeah. So, um, you know, and one of those things, and once again, in this episode, like you put a lot in this episode. <laughs> so I, I know like you talk about heavy stuff, right. And like making change, being a disruptor, it's hard, but I know you like to have fun too. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. where do we draw the line between like, what's a joke and what's not, because like right now, and I see it in school, that joke culture of, Oh, you know what? They're being too sensitive. It was just a joke, right? So where is that line? How do we draw that line? How do we know? We don't know. And that's, and that's my whole point. That's okay. So, okay. We will call that a microaggression for a lot of what you're describing, right? Like, so it's a subtle trigger. You know, I was just a joke. I said this to you, you know, you look good for a fat girl. Oh, wait, that's, was that a compliment or was that a, like a slight at me? Like you just told me I look good for a fat girl like that was like that's not a compliment i'm offended right but then we could follow it up. oh that was just a joke or you're too sensitive lighten up and to me you know i, I and I, i've really started thinking about this with dr kendy because he wrote in the in his book how to be anti-race he talked about how it's just aggression these days you know microaggressions you know because some people say oh there's a microaggression there's a macroaggression and these type of things but at the end of the day i like if you look at the definition and, they, and and you look at what microaggression is supposed to be defined as, it says it's supposed to be a well-intentioned person. But I don't know if someone had the best intentions, whether they had a smile on their face or not. I don't know someone's heart. Now, I might know this individual on a personal level and I say, you know what, I, think they, I don't think they meant anything by it. I can take it that way and I can operate that way. However, especially if it's someone I don't really know that I'm not really close with, or if it's just like something that just happens that triggers me in a way that just makes me feel weird. And I'm just like, I don't know how they felt when they said this or they did this. And as a victim, I don't think it is my job to try to determine whether or not someone uh, had the best intentions or not. I was triggered by what they said or what they did. And so whether if it's a joke or not, to me, it's it's inappropriate. The thing that I always try to tell educators when these types, because I'll have an educator that will ask me, hey, what do I do? I'm in class. And I'm teaching the lesson and someone yells out a, a, a racial, racial slur or uh, they call one of our Middle Eastern students. They called him Bin Laden and they were just joking. And I'm like, OK, so what did you do about it? And they said, well, we just told him just to be kind or, you know, don't say that. You know, that's not nice. And I say, I think that's the right direction to take things. I think that we definitely need to shut it down right then and there. But we also need to tell them why. Because if we just say, you know what, don't say that's not nice, that's not what we do, 
the kids, so, I mean, honestly, I have heard, had some students that don't really know what racial slurs are. They just hear these things. They hear it on TV. They hear it at home. They don't know. Wait, you're actually not supposed to call someone that. Uh, they Some people don't know that. Uh, and especially at the age level, depending on what age level. And so just giving them ex just, you know what, that's an offensive term. And and I also also like to say, don't just say it's an offensive term to these people or this group of people, but it's also offensive to me as an educator. So maybe I don't personally identify as a Muslim American. I, I may not be from the Middle East, but you know what? I was offended as well when I heard you say that. Okay, that's not something that we say to each other. It's offensive. It's uh, a racial slur, and I'm offended. I'm disappointed. That's not something I want to hear you say again. Okay, yeah. So definitely take that off of the the student, and yeah, be part of that situation. That awesome advice. So, you know, this is kind of in the same realm. Um, you know, we're talking about the social emotional needs of students, mm -hmm. right? And I've I've heard, and I I forget where the quote came from. So if anybody knows the quote. Um, you know, please just let me know so I can give them credit for it. But uh, somebody said that SEL can be uh, racism with a smile, oh. right? Uh, so, I haven't heard that one. I, I have not heard that one. And like, I understand what they mean because mm -hmm. it, it's like, we're going to give you the tools to deal with all the things that are being thrown at you. And like, I get that. And, you know, that's not my view of SEL, you know, like I view it differently than that but um you know there there are a lot of programs that definitely kind of push that narrative mm -hmm. so how can we move away from sel in that vein and get to um really approaching students to where their social emotional needs are you know i have a good friend uh i, I don't remember which episode he's he's in the early i think he's in the 70s um michael dr michael dominguez one of the things he said, I think he actually said on my virtual summit, he said, is it okay for kids to be black and brown, but not be black and brown in your classroom? And when I heard him say that, I really put a lot of things in perspective, because when we think about social emotional learning and the tenets of social emotional learning, and I'm glad that Castle has really done some revamping with their approach and they have really put more emphasis on equity, um, because when we think about running a program, and say, you know, I'm a, we're an SEL school. But is that an opportunity? Like you said, I like I like the racism with a smile. Is that is that an opportunity for us to assimilate our kids to get them to, you know what? This is not how you're supposed to respond. This is not how you're supposed to regulate yourself. This is not how you're supposed to work with others. This is the way you're supposed to do it. And we throw out all the cultural standpoints. Like I have had some really good opportunities to interact with like kids, right? And in a classroom and like black kids. And I, I see how they like debate of who's the best hip hop artist or what's the best song. Right now we got we got Drake and we got Kanye West just dropped an album and, and everybody's debating, well, who has the best album? And I can listen to them go back and forth. And you know what? It might get heated. But they're not going to draw like no one's going to fight. No one is going to like, you know, they're not doing anything beyond culturally what they like, what we're passionate about. We use our hands. We we our voice inflect. It gets louder. Doesn't mean we're yelling at each other. We're just more passionate with our tone. 
Okay. But if we're providing a social emotional learning, we're telling, no, 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 that's not how you're supposed to respond. No, that's not how you're supposed to your calm down. You know, if that's what we're doing in the classroom, we're not allowing our kids to be themselves. And I think that's the piece that sometimes gets missed. We ex based off of how we live, right? Where we grew up, our own personal experiences, our family settings, our culture, what we know as standard, what we know as traditional. And so we instill that on kids who are coming in with different backgrounds. They're coming in with different experiences. That traditional mainstream is not traditional mainstream to them. Okay, that's not how they grew up. Their structure is different. And so that's why that's the piece that we have to be careful about is making sure that whatever social emotional learning systems we have in place is done with fidelity. We're not erasing identities. We're not erasing culture. We're not just telling people this is how you're supposed to sit and stand. This is what society says. I do think there's a time and place for some things. But overall, I don't think that that is what we're supposed to be doing is just assimilating our kids and making them be a part of the dominant culture's perspective, because that dominant culture's perspective is often not reflective of our black and brown kids. Sure. You know, and it's hard to change systems, mm -hmm. you know, so like there's a lot of inertia, a lot of pushback, um, you know, but some of what you're doing in your work is, is working to, you know, get students involved at younger ages, like when you're talking about the affinity groups, mm -hmm. right? So that's a great way for people who may not understand those cultural differences to really start to connect with people on a personal level. And it's not just a group, it's their friends, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, I, I really love what you're doing with the affinity group. So if you could just talk about that for a second, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> what's funny is, you know, sometimes people think affinity groups are segregation. You know, that's, that's just another form of segregation. Why why do you need a black student group? Why do you need a Latinx student group? And people forget, well, once they leave that student group, guess where they're entering? They're in a predominantly uh, white space for a lot of our kids. And sometimes it's just nice for them to be able to be themselves. And, that, and, that's, and that's the problem for a lot of a lot of these uh, situations where we have kids that are in the minority as far as they're not part of the dominant culture. And then we have a lot of kids that represent multiple uh, identities, you know, so maybe this kid is a woman uh, and she's a person of color and she's part of the LGBTQ plus community. So she has all these different identities that may not be as represented within the school's overarching culture. And so how do I navigate? And I have all these different identities. Maybe I'm, I'm my religious uh, beliefs are different than what other people's uh, religious beliefs are. So the idea of having a student affinity group is a space in which you may not even have to identify with that group, right? So maybe I, I, maybe it's a, so we do a lot of social justice groups, um, but let's just say you're more specific, you're more targeted and you say, this is a Latinx group. Maybe I'm not a representative of Latinx community. However, I'm supportive of Latinx community. I will recognize that I have privilege in whatever community I do represent. And if I can utilize some of that privilege to support my brothers and sisters, then I will do so. But I need I would like to learn how I can be of support and how I can be in, in, in solidarity 
with uh, certain groups, even if I don't identify in those groups. So with the student affinity groups, it's more of a space for us to not just vent. I'm not a big person on just vent sessions. You know, I, I, I like counseling. Counseling is good. But, you know, I, I want some, some homework. Give me some homework. Tell me what you want me to do after this. After, you know, so I just I just told you my life story or I just told you this is what happened to me last week. This is what happened to me this morning. That's nice to kind of air those things out. But at the end of the day, how do I cope with this? What are some things? What are some strategies that you can give me in case this happens again? If sometimes, man, I, I have a good friend. His name is Luis. He gets called Luis all the time. Right. And he'll have people that will tell him, well, this is America. Your name is Lewis. And <laughs> right. And I tell him, I'll say, you know what? That's not the last time. You, that's not the first and last time someone's going to call you Lewis, intentionally call you Lewis. Your name is Luis. Stand by that. Right. But here's some strategies. Here's some methods that you can utilize to, in order to when it happens, what to do. I just was with a good friend of mine. Her son got pulled over. He's a black kid, and he just got pulled over by the police. And uh, he just literally fit the description. Uh, he didn't, wasn't speeding. He didn't. He didn't get a ticket. Wasn't doing anything. But it shook him up. And I, you know, we. It was a few of us. We all kind of got together and, and rallied around him and let him know. Listen, here's some experiences that we've had. You know, when I was in college, this happened to me, or when I was. This this happened to me. And we just kind of gathered, gathered around him, rallied around him, just let him know, listen, you did the right things. You you did everything that you're supposed to do. You, you at the end of the day, you made it home. And and that's the most important thing. Right. When you get pulled over, that's the main thing is you want to make it home. And and so here we are. But just being able to have some people that have had similar experiences who represent similar cultures, who represent similar identities that you can talk to and can share and you can uplift each other. It's so important, especially when you're 13 years old, when you're 12 years old, 15 years old, and you're dealing with a bunch of nonsense that maybe you can't come to your parents directly about or your teachers about, but you can talk to your peers about who might have also had experiences. And you know what? Some of your teachers might have had some similar experiences, but you can engage in those conversations and and again, if there does require, you know, what, let's let's talk to the principal, let's talk to the administration and see if maybe we can get some change. They may not be aware that these are some of the things that we're experiencing. But if we're in, in a group, if we're more than one person, it's not just one person uh, having these challenges, but there's other people and we're all together. Then to me, that makes such a difference. And, and it really does uh, provide a better support for a child who is in the minority when it comes to their community. Uh, and, and it's not just a racial thing. So whatever their identity is, being able to have support there for them is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so when we look, you talk about dominant culture, and one of the things that reflects the dominant culture is grading. Mm -hmm. And that, that that's like a third rail issue. You know, like people get up in arms about that. That's when you say disruptor, that's something that I personally try and disrupt. Mm -hmm. So I, I've been working on that for, for years now. Um, but people don't understand the, the tie in with your work and grading. So how, how does that influence the work that you do? You know, I, I didn't pay a lot of attention. So equity is such a broad term. Sure. And, 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 
there's so much within equity. And so I'm, I'm just, I mean, again, 200 episodes, I, it's, there's still more. And I'm, I'm always, someone's pitching a new topic to me and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, I'd never thought about that. Yeah. You need to come on the show. Right. So that happens a lot. So with grading, I wasn't big on grading and what that looks like. I knew about standardized tests. I knew about the ACT, SATs. I knew about like those, those type of tests. Um, you know, I knew about, you know, a lot of accountability challenges and how a lot of our tests are biased. Uh, as a special ed person, I, I knew about like a lot of our school psychology testing and how that goes. But when it came to the actual grading school system, I really didn't pay a lot of attention to it until COVID. When I started to see, wait a second, we got all these schools closing down. We have now we're switching over to online learning and you got teachers who have absolutely no training who are just throwing out worksheets or Google just like it was just a lot of hodgepodge. I mean, let's be honest, especially when, when COVID first started shutting down. And and I just really started looking like, wait, y'all are wait, you're giving them a grade for this stuff? And that's when things really started to hit me. I'm like, we're not being equitable with our approach to to grading. You know what? A lot of the kids that I was interacting with, school was just not a priority. Just making sure they had a place to stay was was their priority. The parents lost a job due to layoffs uh, or they had to quarantine. There wasn't really any place for them to go for quarantine. It was just all these different challenges. School was at the bottom of the list. They had like 10 priorities ahead of that. Yet they were still required to come to school. They're still required to turn in their schoolwork, turn in like still perform academically. And we're forgetting about the human side of our kids. So that's why I started really thinking about the grading system. And I did some research and started looking into uh, where did grading start coming from and the whole top-down approach and mastery and industrial revolution and all these different things and tracking and all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of things that we should probably change when it comes to how our grading system uh, goes. I, I've, I've had been very fortunate to, to meet some people such as Joe Feldman and who uh, has done a lot of good work on a grading system. And um, um, I can't remember his first name, but Dweck, he was on my uh, show. Myron. As well. Myron, Myron Dweck. He was on my show as well. And again, they just brought in some really interesting perspectives with how the grading system is today and how it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed for years. I mean, it's, you know, with besides technology, uh, it's been pretty much the same. And you know that's something that maybe we should look at. And so I, I've had a lot of proponents on just going grayless. Uh, that seems to be, uh, yeah, including yourself, David, um, that it seems to be the, I guess, someone asked me one time, they said, is there a way that you can have an equitable grading system? Like what would make an like ideal grading system. I think going grayless is a great direction to, to take that system to, to make it as equitable as possible. Yeah. And you know, there, there's challenges with that. It's the mm -hmm. familiarity and, you know, um, there's just this nostalgia around mm -hmm. this is what it was like when I went to school and I turned out okay. So it yep. has to be good, you know? Yep. So, uh, I've, had, yeah. I've had people that like debate me about homework, right? Because they're like, you know, I don't like my child's teacher because the teacher doesn't give homework. And I said, well, why do you need, why do they need homework? I don't know. 
I used to have homework. Okay, but why did? <laughs> but that's not a good answer. You can't just tell me because I had homework going up as a kid. What is the point of homework? If if you did everything you're supposed to do in the class that day, you don't need like why do they need more work to take home? They've been in school all day. You got kids that have sports, you got kids that want to spend time with their family, have dinner, and they got to spend all night doing reports or doing worksheets or wake up in the morning and do these things. Why? Why do they need this homework? You're just asking for you're complaining that the kids don't get homework because you used to get a lot of homework. Not necessarily that there's data or research that you saw, you saw a study, you read a book, a journal, whatever. You've done your own research that says homework is the stuff and that needs to happen no it's just because you're used to like you said the nostalgia of you know what this is what i went through so my children need to go through this as well well hours of homework it's a rigorous course it has to be good yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's the rigor yeah that's that's <laughs> the other one right it's not challenging my kids because they didn't get an extra worksheet to take yeah. home like really really yeah look i haven't done homework I, I can't tell you how long and my kids are, are doing better than they've ever done before. You mm-hmm. know, when, when you restructure and refocus on learning other than just like navigating the nonsense, uh, it's amazing what students will do. Yeah. So, you know, but like half of the challenge is we're fighting an uphill battle because we're not getting as good of results as we could if everybody else was doing the same thing that we're doing. So like, they'll point to that one little thing and say, well, you know, this works better here. Yeah. Because I had to spend two months like showing kids that it's okay to take risks and like, you know, it's not about points. And, you know, so when you talk about like grading and homework and all that, there's so many challenges that, like you said before, students aren't telling their teachers there's certain Mm -hmm. things that they won't share because we don't have shared experience there's certain things that they won't share because they're embarrassed and when we have these structures in place that prioritize certain things um you know it, it puts populations at a distinct disadvantage and this isn't racial this isn't gender this isn't ability it's all of them Mm -hmm. right so I, I work with, um, you know, students that have IEPs and 504s, and that's the majority of my class roster. And, you know, a, a lot of the reasons why I moved this way was because I saw they weren't being served the way that they need to be served. And then looking into it, I was like, oh, wait a second. This parallels a lot of other things that I'm seeing. So, yeah. like, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I I was you're you're good. I I was just gonna say yeah, it's that that's I think that was kind of the main lessons learned, if you will, with COVID. People just thought all of a sudden that COVID happens, and then uh, you know kids all of a sudden were struggling, and technology was an issue or uh, abilities or whatever, whatever. I was like, no, this thing's been here. It's yep. just COVID helped introduce it to you because that wasn't your world, but it really brought to light a lot of things that have been happening for years that people like myself that do equity work have been shouting at the mountaintops yo we need to revisit some of the systems we need to visit revisit some of the things that we got going on right now this was what i was telling you six months before a pandemic happened yeah well now now it's out there you couldn't hide it with extra help and forcing students to come during lunch and, mm-hmm. you know, that one-on-one work during class time. So all those things that we had in place to mask mm-hmm. all those inefficiencies 
like once you strip those away, it's just like, hey, everything's on display. So, you know, now we talked about a lot of stuff today. Yeah. All right. So what do you say to the educators, the administrators, the teachers um, who, who say these are a lot of different initiatives? How do we manage all of this? So I don't want them to look at it as initiatives. And I, I think that's the first step is, you know, it's sometimes we we get the, you know, something shiny and, and it's, oh, it's another thing I have to do. I already swamped with lesson plans. I'm already swamped with this benchmark or whatever. I don't want it to look as if it's something additional. One of the things that I have learned over the last, I would say last six months. One of the things I have learned over the last six months when it comes to the language that we utilize, I think at the end of the day, we can all agree, whether wherever you are politically or just mindset, whatever it is, right? We can all agree that we want our kids to do well and that we can agree that, you know what, kids learn differently and we want the best for our students. I think we can all agree with that. So rather than looking at it as a new initiative, rather than looking at it as more work that we're supposed to be doing, um, look at it as this is something that I just do. Uh, it, it's not just, you know, I, I'm a SEL guru or I'm a this guru. No, I just I just do what I need to do to make sure my kids uh, are, are, are doing well. I am challenging them. I'm providing um, a very rigorous program. I am making sure that they're getting the support that they need. I'm giving them the extra time that they need or less time that they need. I am communicating with the community, their parents. I am doing what I can as, and, and I'm an advocate for them as well, right? So I'm doing all that I can to make sure that my students are going to be successful. I don't need a label for that. I don't, I don't need to call it whatever I need to call it. It's just being a great teacher and, and wanting the best for my kids. I think if we just operate in that mindset as opposed to looking at it as the latest, greatest, or this new thing, oh, well, this administrator is introducing this thing here, and you know, once the administrator leaves, that's going to go away, a new administra administrator is going to come in, and so we'll have something else. Rather than looking at it that way, just look at it like, okay, I just want to do the best for my kids. And if some strategies are, are you know, research-based and I can implement it, then that's great. I will do that and I will do some more research into it. But at the end of the day, I want to be the best at my craft. People tell me personally, David, they say, you know, Sheldon, I think you're an equity expert. And I always say, I just try to stay a chapter ahead. I don't believe I know everything. I have so much to learn. Uh, I am on a journey just like everybody else. I, I, I don't know everything. I have not experienced everything. So, so I can't just speak on all things equity related. I am just a chapter ahead. Yeah, that's awesome. Some great advice. So now this may be the most important part of the interview because recently your Twitter handle has changed. So please <laughs> let everybody know how they can connect with you now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yes. So I got hacked. Uh, my daughter was making fun of me. He didn't have a two-step authenticator. She's, she's, she's 11 years old. She's 11 years old. And she's telling me that. But um, yeah, so my new so my new Twitter. Can you hear that, by the way? Is that making a lot of noise? It, it's all right. Okay. My dog, he broke free out of jail. And uh, so now he's doing his thing. Um, so my new Twitter handle is Sheldon. L Akins, E-A-K-I-N-S 
at uh no at, not at uh just that's just my twitter hang, handle before it was just sheldon akins but now it's sheldon l akins uh and then akins like i said is e-a-k-i-n-s all right and then leading equity center leading equity center.com you can also follow me on instagram at sheldon akins so uh last thing what are some services you provide and what's the best way for um districts that are looking to get some help in this area to kind of move forward with you you know especially with the start of the school year um right now i'm doing a lot of keynotes some kind of welcome back type of talks to staff uh, i do a lot of training so i'm not just i'm not just you know, going to talk about race and, and all the things. I'm I'm there to support educators. And, and I think, again, like I said, I think we can all agree that we want the best for our kids. And that's the message that I'm going to provide. So I do a lot of trainings on that. I do professional developments. I even have an equity audit. So if there's a district or a school that's wanting to really look deeper into their systems and kind of just break some things down and see where some targeted areas for growth, uh, I can support them with that as well. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, some great insights, and I look forward to uh, hearing more from you in the future. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing your feedback. For more resources, visit www.reimagineschools.com or reach out to me on Twitter at David Frangioso. Thank you.